Thank you all for being here. We've got a, a bit of a uh, slim crowd. I know a number of folks have headed to Fort Worth for the stock show, and uh, so we want to remember them and their travels. But we're glad you're here, and uh, I encourage you to speak up as much and as often as, you, as you'd like to this evening as we talk about facing temptations specific to men. Let's uh, start with a prayer, shall we? Our God and our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this evening uh, as men. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study together from your Word. We pray that the things that we study will um, help us to serve others and to serve you better in our day-to-day -day walk in this life. We thank you so much for every blessing you give us, especially for Jesus Christ. And we ask forgiveness where we failed you. We pray that you help us to always be repentant and help us to always seek truth and righteousness and to glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, Reagan had a list of a number of topics that had been selected by the group uh, on things to study in this in these classes, and one of those on the list was facing temptations specific to men. And um, so I signed up for that one, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, that's, it, it, when you, the more I thought about it, it's kind of it's kind of tricky because I, I kind of kept wanting to just talk about the actual. Uh, facets of the temptation rather than focusing on facing the temptation, the act of facing the temptations. But we're going to try to do a little bit of both this evening. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. I, I would say, and I don't think it's any surprise to any of us, that society today wants us to believe that there are no differences between men and women, right? We see it in the news all the time. I like the point that Reagan made uh, in a lesson a while back, and I'm probably going to mess it up. I'm sure I will, but he said something. He asked everyone to raise their hand if they thought it was unfair for a man to punch a woman. It, was that your scenario, something like that? Every, and every hand in the room was raised. It's worse for a man to hit a woman than for a woman to hit a man. Is that what, that was your okay? That was his point. Should have been listening. <laughs> But every, the point is, every hand in the room was raised because everybody sees that. It's just common sense, right? Um, with few exceptions, men are physically different than women. And to further illustrate the point, you may have mentioned this too. I don't know if you did or not, but I'm going to mention it. All we've got to do is look at sports. You know, you don't see, you see mediocre male athletes who now want to identify as a female so they can compete and dominate in women's athletics, but you don't see it the other way around, right? Wonder why that is. Men and women are different. So isn't it also true that men are typically mentally and especially emotionally different from women? Would you agree with that? In what ways? How are men mentally and 
emotionally different from women. Can you think of anything? They're more prone to lead. Okay. Make better decisions. Okay. Or, or make a decision, let me put it that way. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes, sir? Eric? I want to jump ahead, but, you know, God created us for certain roles, and the man's role is to provide, protect, to lead, and so he's given us qualities that meet that. A woman's role primarily is to take care of the children, you know, and so they have a more empathetic, emotional, established relationship type. This is generally. Yep. So they're more tuned with emotions and how to respond to various scenarios with people that they love than men are because that's not really their primary Sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. So I started to, to uh, uh, pull a play from uh, Buddy Payne's book and bring this book with me and hold it up so I'd look smart. But to be honest with you, I didn't actually read the whole thing, so I didn't want to act like I had. And I'm not endorsing this book because, because I haven't read all of it, and I'm not sure about everything the author says in it. But in 1992, you've probably heard of this book, there was a relationship counselor named John Gray who wrote a book entitled Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, right? We've heard of that. I have read, in fact, that it was the highest ranked work of nonfiction of the 1990s. It spent 121 weeks on the bestseller list and sold more than 15 million copies. Isn't that amazing? The premise of the book is that men and women are fundamentally psychologically different. And that men and women can be understood in terms of distinct ways they respond to stress and stressful situations. I don't know how well that book would fly in today's world. Uh, interesting to think about that. But I don't disagree with it because... What do men do when something's bothering us? What's our, what's kind of a stereotypical reaction of a man when something's on your mind and you're bothered? Get on a horse and ride out in the pasture and think about it. Yeah. Get somewhere alone, right? We kind of want to, we kind of want to go somewhere, um, get somewhere alone. What do women, what do women want to do? They want to talk about it. That's right. They want to talk about it. And so as I read through the... I did read through the first few chapters of this book. Julie has it. she got several books about differences between men and women. I don't know why that is. But as I, as I read through the first chapters, I could certainly see myself as the author described how men tend to pull away, how they tend to silently think about what's bothering them, uh, whereas women just want to talk about it. In fact, he uses humor to describe how men want to put on our Mr. Fix-It caps, he calls it, to solve all the problems that women bring to us. That was something Julie and I had to work through early on in our relationship. You know, when she comes to me with a problem, man, I'm, all right, what, what is it? Let's fix it. I got your solution. It took a while to learn. She's not asking for a solution. She just wants me to listen, Right? Without a doubt, we are different. And as such, men are tempted in a lot of different ways than women. So, how so? Let's kind of storyboard a little bit, brainstorm some of the ways 
in which men are tempted uh, differently than women. Can you think of something? Okay. Visual temptation. You look at something and you want it, what would you call that? Sir? Greed, lust, covetousness. Lust, greed, covetousness. Good. What else? Maybe pride and arrogance. Maybe not so much vanity, but pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance. Vanity is more of a woman thing. (laughs) Pride, arrogance. What else? Any others you want to put on that list? Stubborn. That two ends? Ambition. Okay, good. Because maybe there's not a lot wrong with a healthy level of ambition, but excessive ambition. Okay, what else? Is this underneath, is this a subtopic underneath visual temptation? No, sir. We just go with a general list. I guess this is kind of what I was looking for when he said visual temptation. What else? Anything else? In Old Testament, you don't ever read about a woman being tempted or looking at another woman. Mm-hmm. So I think men have sexual temptation. That's a big one, for sure. Any anything else we want to put on this list? I've got a few more if we get to them, but I think we've got some stuff to work with here. So let's let's start with this. And uh, Monty, I agree with you. I think lust is probably the big one. If we had to to pick one that really uh, separates the men from the women, but I also think we've had some great lessons and discussions on that topic over the last several months since we've been meeting. And so, with your permission, I'd like to pass on lust tonight. And I'd like to talk about some of these others that we have not discussed as much. And so the first one on my list uh, is pride. Uh, I don't remember who said it, but thank you for calling that one out. Let's talk about pride. I promise I'm not going to keep going back to the Men Are From Mars book, but I do think it's interesting that the author spent a good bit of time counseling women that they should not offer, and now I quote, unsolicited advice, because that is to presume that the man doesn't know what to do or that he can't do it on his own. Have, have you ever, uh, you married men in particular, you ever been aggravated at your wife because she offered unsolicited advice about how to solve a problem? Maybe you should call so-and-so and ask for help. Maybe you should stop and ask for directions. I think we've all probably experienced those sort of things. But why would that frustrate us? Kind of hurts our pride a little bit, right? I think it's just plain and simple pride. 
So I might add to pride, if I were to put that in a bucket with a couple of others, uh, Eric, I think, mentioned excessive ambition as well as the desire for power. I think both of those are probably unique to men, um, more so than women. Now, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But there's another book that's actually the best-selling book of all time. What is that? The Bible. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, in 1995, that's 27 years ago, 28 years ago, there were an estimated 5 billion copies of the Bible had been sold and distributed worldwide. Isn't that amazing to think about that? Five billion copies of the Bible sold worldwide uh, 27 years ago. And as much as we may find nuggets of wisdom in some books written by man, men are from Mars, women from Venus, that kind of stuff, where best to go for counsel than the book that was breathed by the very designer and maker of men and women? with all of our differences, where best to go for, for, for that kind of counsel. So, the Bible talks a lot about our first temptation of pride. We'll look at some of those scriptures together. But as I mentioned early on, as I, I thought about the topic of tonight's lesson, we, we don't want to just talk about pride in and of itself. We want to talk about facing temptations that are specific to men. So Reagan's last lesson last night, he kind of stole a little bit of my thunder, and that's okay. Um, but how, how should we, as men, deal with these temptations when we're faced with them? Well, we have a wonderful example in the Bible of how Jesus himself faced temptations of, uh, the temptation of pride when he experienced it. Hebrews 4.15 says in speaking of Jesus, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, how did he face those temptations? Talked about it last night. He answered every temptation with Scripture. So if Jesus was tempted in every respect as we are, and yet without sin, shouldn't we want to emulate Him in how we face temptation? One thing I think that we have to be able to do is to recognize and accept when we're tempted. That, in and of itself, may require us to Swallow a little pride. But what we need to do beforehand is to equip ourselves with the armor that we read about in Ephesians 6, where we're told to put on the whole armor of God. And why? So that we can stand against the schemes, the wiles of the devil. And you know the armor. We talked about it. Belt. Belt of truth. Breastplate righteousness, as shoes, the readiness given by the gospel of, of peace, shield of faith, helmet, 
of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that was interesting, the point you made last night about short defensive uh, opportunities. Um, so let's, let's see what the Word of God says about pride. And we're going we're gonna to read several passages from the Proverbs uh, tonight. I'll go kind of quickly in the interest of time. We go through some of these. Proverbs 8, 13, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 11 in verse 2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13, 10, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Proverbs 16 and 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Same chapter, verse 18, very familiar to us. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. In Proverbs 18 and verse 12, Before destruction a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Any comments about any of these passages from the Proverbs about pride before we look at a couple in the New Testament? Okay. From James... Chapter 4 and verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know, we mentioned this desire for power, um, excessive ambition. And as, as, to me, as I said, I, I think those seem to go hand in hand with pride. We just finished a whole quarter in our Bible classes where we studied the kings of Judah and Israel. How many of those kings, when you, when, as we went through them, how many of them struggled with problems of pride, desire for power, excessive ambition? You don't have to look far. The very first king of Israel, Saul, started out as a humble man, didn't he? He was head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, we're told there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. He had a lot of opportunity to be proud, didn't he? Proud of himself. But remember what he told Samuel when Samuel came to him and um, wanted to anoint him as king, he said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why would you speak to me this way? And then remember when Saul was looking for him to declare him as king to all the people that he had assembled together? Saul was nowhere to be found. Remember where he was? Hiding among the equipment. Isn't that something? He didn't want the attention early on. 
But after a few victories in battle, his successes went to his head. Um, That's a big part of the problem. He began to think that these victories that God gave him were of his own doing. Fast forward to Jeroboam the first. Jeroboam allowed pride, ambition, his desire for power to cause not only his own sin, but the Bible describes his sin as sin by which he caused all of Israel to sin. How would you like to be remembered in that way? He was so afraid that the people of Israel would turn their hearts to Rehoboam if they went to Jerusalem to worship at the temple as they were supposed to, that he established idol worship in Dan and Bethel to keep them from going to Jerusalem so that he could maintain this power that he had built for him. No, it wasn't that way. That God had given him in the first place. That's what the prophet reminded him of. Remember that? But this was not a new problem, and it was certainly one that God has, had warned his children about years earlier. Moses warned the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8 before they entered the promised land, this land that God was going to give them where they would inherit farms and vineyards and homes that they didn't build. He told them in verse 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. We need to remember, men, that whatever power and might and possessions we think we have is not our own and not of our own doing. Everything belongs to God to begin with. So maybe if we can keep that perspective, maybe that's one way that will help us face this temptation of pride and desire for power and excessive ambition to begin with. Uh, One more passage on selfish ambition. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if we're, if we're making a conscientious effort to always put others ahead of ourselves, there really shouldn't be any room for pride, desire for power, selfish ambition. Any thoughts on that? made me think of 1 Samuel 15, 17, when he's about to get the kingdom taken away from him after he spares Agag and he 
remember that story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Uh, we talk about God gives us these things so there's no need for pride, but a lot of times that's when God gives us those things. It's when we aren't proud. It's mm -hmm. when we're small in our own eyes. That's when he exalts us, lifts us up. Yeah, thank you. Let me take a little tangent now. I, I know I said I didn't want to talk about lust tonight, but as we talk about ways to deal with temptations specific to men, I always think back to something Job said that would apply to how, how to deal with this temptation of lust. I like the way the NIV puts it in Job 31.1 when Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. You know, it sounds simple to simply declare ahead of time that I'm not going to do something. But I think this approach can be helpful to us in dealing with all temptations if we simply make up our minds ahead of time before we're faced with a temptation that we will not do whatever it is, period. I think of Daniel and his friends. When they were taken captives from Judah to Babylon, they were in the first uh, deportation wave. As sons of nobility, they were placed in uh, a position to train up in the ways of the Chaldeans so that in time they would ultimately be equipped to serve in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. You, you remember all this. Remember what happened? Verse 5, look at verse 5 of uh, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time... They were to stand before the king. Now drop to verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel resolved. The King James says Daniel purposed in his heart. I, I don't think this was a decision that Daniel made on the spur of the moment. First off, Daniel had obviously learned from the law of Moses about what foods would or would not defile him. And he also had a lot of time to think about it. Um, how long did it take him to get from Jerusalem to Babylon? Ezra chapter 7 kind of gives us an indication because it tells us how long it took Ezra to get from Babylon to Jerusalem. It was about four months over a 900-mile trip. So don't you know he had a lot of time to think about where he was headed and what he was going to be faced with, potentially, when he got there? And do you think it would have been tempting for him and his friends to enjoy those king's delicacies after walking or riding on a camel and camping out at night for four months, but he'd purposed in his heart in advance that he was simply not going to do it. Well, 
What if we just resolved our purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves with whatever we know is wrong? That way, the decision's already been made. We don't have to think about it when we're faced with the temptation. Young men, purpose in your heart. If someone tries to show you a sexual image on their phone, you're not going to look at it. If someone offers you a drink, you're not going to take it. If you've purposed in your heart, your decision is already made. So, kind of got away from pride there a little bit. Talked a lot about that. We're going to kind of work through some of these others a little quicker. But uh, before we do, does anyone have any thoughts or comments on pride, on power, ambition, uh, as temptations that men face, or on this concept of purposing in our hearts ahead of time to do what's right as a way to face temptation in general? And yes, sir. I think you've made some good comments on that. I've learned over the years age basically what you were talking about. When you say your work, you know the people you work with, and you know the group that you're going to be working with that day. You know what type of people they are. You know Okay. What else was on our list? Greed, covetousness, envy. Look at there, that's next on my list. How ironic. So, I didn't use the word greed. I did use covetousness and envy because they're related, but a little different, right? Envy has been defined as a feeling of discontentment or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, someone else's qualities, or their luck. So a feeling of discontentment. It's like old so-and-so's got a big old house and a nice truck. I resent them for it, and it just makes me feel discontented with what I have. Covetousness, to be covetous, has been defined as marked by inordinate desire for wealth or possessions or for another's possessions. Old so-and-so has a big house and a nice truck, and I want it. And not just his. I want more money and a big boat and even more and more money. An inordinate desire for wealth or possessions or for another's possessions. So let's see what the Bible says about these feelings or desires. Uh, when might have been the first time that we read about, maybe it's not the first, but an early time when we read about the sin of covetousness? Okay. Yeah, for sure, huh? Cain was jealous, 
right? What else? Other occasions? He wanted to know more. Sir? He wanted to know more. Okay. And thought about that, but yeah. Okay. Let's. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Um, y'all are bringing up a whole lot of good ones. That's fantastic. <clears throat> what about in Exodus 20 and verse 17, when God prohibited covetousness as the tenth of the Ten Commandments in the Law of Moses, when He said, "You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey." nor anything that is your neighbor's. Go back to the Proverbs. Proverbs 14 and verse 30. Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Galatians 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then James, James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So, what are some ways then that we can fight against envy and covetousness? Contentment. Um, Absolutely. Contentment is a big one. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We also need to learn to deny ourselves and follow Christ. In Luke chapter 9, Uh, verse 23, Luke 9, verse 23 says, He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Deny ourselves and follow Christ. Be content with what we have. We also need to learn to put on love. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, we're all familiar with. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Colossians 3, verse 14. And above all these, put on love 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So some good ways there that we can fight against envy and covetousness and greed, um, denying ourselves, following Christ, learning to be content with what we have, putting on love. Any other comments or questions on envy or covetousness before we move on? You think Paul was satisfied with being in prison? He learned to be, didn't he? But he wasn't satisfied with it. Oh, you're right. You're drawing a distinction between satisfaction and contentment. Yes. Yeah. It's, 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 we need to have some ambition. We need mm-hmm. to have some pride. Mm-hmm. Enough that we want to do right. Mm-hmm. To do the right things. To have for our family. And to do things for others. Uh, so we, for the sake of younger, we, we don't want to just kill everything they've got and say, you, you know, you've got to be content in everything. You always want to strive to do better, strive to uh, resolve some of the problems like Paul had. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And that's, that's I think, why uh, I like the clarifier that, um, or the adjective, maybe, that Eric used with uh, ambition. What did you say? Uh, excessive ambition? Mm-hmm. Selfish ambition. That's right. Yeah. No, all good points. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, something that's been helpful to me in regard to envy specifically. So it's not just I want this, but I want to take it away from somebody mm-hmm. else. Kind of the idea, right? If, if we can learn to be happy for other people, mm-hmm. what they have, uh, even even if it's not what they have, like. That's just something I've tried to focus on in my life is if something good happens to somebody else, I just want to be happy for that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad for them. Uh, even, if, even if I wish that I would get the same thing, I'm glad that they got it. Like the little girl who took the basketball and didn't get the call? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm glad for <laughs> You know, there's another word that probably it is uh, competition, competitiveness, mm-hmm. and uh, we can be guilty of being. There are places for that, but then there's yeah. places not for Probably, yeah, we probably could have put that on the board for sure. Yeah. Okay, what about uh, what about anger and violence? Do we think that's one that uh, men are probably more prone to? Than women, would you agree with that? You say anger, anger, and violence. I'm kind of lumping those two together. Again, real quickly, uh, I'll go through some of these passages around that. Proverbs chapter 15, verse one: A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise. Oh wait, never mind. That's just it. Proverbs 15:18 A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 19:11 Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 29:11 A fool 
gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, Obscene talk from your mouth in Ephesians 4, uh, 26, beginning in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work for his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, you know, maybe not sure what always drives our anger, um, but when we think about forgiveness and what we deserve and, and the way God forgives us, maybe that should help us to uh, fight off that temptation to be angered so easily. And then Reagan mentioned last night, James uh, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Thoughts or or comments on anger, violence? Yes, Eric? It's like the root of a lot of these things is selfishness. Mm -hmm. That's why you would have pride or that's why you have envy and things like that be a root of anger. It's like... I found myself in a set of circumstances that's not going the way I think it should go. Nobody said something to me that I think was right, or my wife did something that I didn't expect her to do. And when my expectations are met, I re- my own selfish desires, I respond with anger. And it seems like if we could be less self-focused, more others-focused, it's all a lot of trouble. We've, we've talked about that. Yeah. It seems like I'm more concerned about your needs state of your soul, and I'll be less concerned about how offended I am by what you did or said. Absolutely, yeah. Very good. Anyone else? Um, go ahead, Brent. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm not real bright, so I'm still back on one back five. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about the uh, ambition, um, and, it, and it can lead into the danger, too, when, when Eric's talking about the... Things aren't going our way, and we need to be more less self-centered and concentrate on others. Um, on that ambition that, that, that Brother Johnson was talking about, you know, we have to have a certain amount of ambition to care for our family, care sure. for things like that. 
I don't, I think you can easily say we just have to have the ambition that God wills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not my ambition to do such and such, it should be God's ambition to do such and such. What's his desire for us to do? What's his goal for us? You know, and if, if we stick to this path, we stick to his will, those things come along with it. It's, it's not my ambition necessarily to have, you know, to supply these things or her to do these things, but it, <clears throat> I have to change my ambition and my path to what God wants me to do. I think that helps a lot if I, can, if I consider that. Well, I don't have to worry about those things. I just have to do this one thing. That's it. I don't have to worry about my own ambition. Yeah. Excellent point. That reminds me of First Thessalonians four, that you also aspire. That's like ambition, right? For the Christian, it's lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands, walk properly toward those who are outside, and lack nothing. Thank you. Don't someone smite you on the right cheek, turn to the left. Right. That's difficult. Yeah. I know what's for me as a young man. Yeah. <laughs> all right, just um, real quickly, and I, I, we don't have time to go through uh, all of the, the passages that I had down for these, but um, a, a couple of more, just a, a few more that, that were on my list are distraction. I think it's easy perhaps maybe for men to become a little bit more distracted um, so some some thoughts I had, some passages here, you know, Matthew 6, uh, 24, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, bottom line uh, from verses 24 to 34, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things that we would worry about, what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear, uh, will be added to you. First Peter 5, 8, a warning to be sober and vigilant to pay close attention. Why? Because as we talked in Bible class yesterday morning, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, as Reagan showed us, searching for prey, ready to pounce. And so how do we, how do, we do that? How do we, how do we stay sober and vigilant? Uh, one way is certainly described, I think, in um, Philippians 4. And verse 8, we can probably quote this. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So maybe that'll help us uh, avoid distraction. Others that I that I uh, had on my list are impatience. I think that's a, a big one that we all need to work on. Uh, a lack of gentleness is probably unique to men uh, as opposed to women. Uh, failure to lead. So, Jerry, you made some comments about our duty uh, to lead. Um, you know, we, we, we're aware of our uh, position as men uh, in compared... Uh, to our wives in comparison to Christ in the church. Um, hang on just a second. 
You've made this, you've made this comment, uh, I think, a couple times now, Jerry. So I'm going to read 1 Timothy 5.8, uh, where it does say, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we do have those. Uh, certainly we know we have those responsibilities. Somebody mentioned stubbornness. Stubbornness was on, on our board. Um, a lot of good proverbs about that. Um, Zechariah chapter 7, 11 and 12 is an interesting passage that describes the stubbornness of the children of Israel. And then certainly uh, the book of Amos, as we studied yesterday in our Bible classes about the stubbornness of the children of Israel in spite of all of God's warnings. And then the last one I had on my list that I think is a, a temptation that is probably unique to men is failure to listen or communicate. And so there are certainly some passages uh, about being quick to listen. Um, I think early on when we set up this class, I, I think, thinking back, I think we said we were going to try to format it so that we would give a little bit of time towards the end for a young man to maybe give us some perspective and then someone else to give an elder or somebody to give uh, uh, a little bit more perspective. So um, I've asked Sean to clean us up and bring it home. But before that, uh, I've offered Jacob a few minutes if he would like to add anything from the perspective of a young man. If you don't, that's fine. Do you have anything you want to you wanna share? Okay. Well, I am glad Mr. Sean's going after me. So we can't clean up anything. But um, I don't know. I was I was thinking about, Dad kind of told me what he was going to be talking about and kind of what we were going to be discussing this evening. And, and as I got to thinking about it, I was thinking you know, about temptations that men face and specifically what I was asked to do, you know, what young men face. And, um, you know, of course, the... The big, the big one of lust and the, the sexual sins and things of that nature, and they are very prevalent. But you know, maybe more specific to what we were talking to or talking about this evening, um, I see a ton of people, and myself included. Um, you know, most of the things that I feel like tempt young men and myself is, you know, a desire for acceptance. Um, you know, maybe. There's nothing so terrible in my life that I want to go drink to get drunk and forget those terrible memories. You know, the, the temptation to drink, maybe more specifically, comes from, um, you know, I want to be accepted. You know, my friends see me and, uh, you know, oh, well, you do that, you know, you're, you're a cool guy. You can party with us or, you know, do things like that. And uh, maybe making money, um, you know. I don't, I don't have a need to go make a million dollars at 18 years old, but um, I don't have anybody I need to provide for. But, you know, I, I think and I strive to, or maybe if you fall into that category and you do get lost in that temptation, I think for a young man it's easy to, you know, well, if I buy the nicest and the coolest thing, then, you know, maybe all my friends see that, and then I'm a cool guy at school, you know. 
if I, if I work really hard and make a lot of money, then I can buy a brand new shiny pair of boots to wear to church every day and to wear to school. And, you know, maybe some of these other kids, you know, they don't have boots like these. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't have what I got. And um, I think always reaching for, for somebody else's acceptance or um, trying to be um, uplifted by your peers, you know, by people who we don't need to be uplifted by, who we don't need to seek the acceptance thereof, is, is what I'm getting at. And uh, I think one of the biggest things that helped me kind of come to terms with that and to grow from that was finding confidence in, you know, who I am and what I stand for and what I'm trying to achieve in my life and in the afterlife. And, uh, you know, understanding that, that there's so much more to life than, you know, having your high school buddies think you're the cool guy because you can party with them and because you'll do bad things with them because, you know, you don't care enough to be worried about, you know, getting in trouble with the law, getting in trouble with your parents, and, you know, especially, you know, sins against God. And um, I think having that confidence and um, contentment, maybe, in, in what I'm doing and what I need to be doing and who I am and, you know, the church family that loves me, my family, my parents that love me, my friends, my good friends, my true friends who love me and who are going to help me, you know, become successful in my own time and to grow as a Christian and to grow as a person versus, you know, throwing it away just trying to, trying to be the cool kid, trying to be the popular kid. So that's about all I had to talk about from a young man's perspective. And uh, so there you go. Mr. Sean, feel free to clean it up now. I was supposed to give the young man this perspective. <laughs> um, oh, I just, you know, the only thing I would I would add is, uh, you know, when we think about our responsibilities as men, not only to our women, but to one another, you know, these this list of things that we've been talking about, uh, you know, they prevent us from being what we should be to one another. Um, uh, for instance, like in Ephesians 5, being submissive or subject to one another. Well, I can't do that if I'm stubborn and proud. You know, I, I can't uh, confess my sins for forgiveness, like he's, he told us that he's faithful to forgive us if we confess our sins in 1 John chapter 1. I can't confess my sins to my brethren, you know, if I'm proud and arrogant and stubborn. So it's just, it's just that these are not just sins in and of themselves, but they prevent us from being what we should be to one another. Um, you know, when, when I was in, in high school and involved in 4-H and FFA and leadership stuff, and there was a saying, to be enthusiastic, you have to act enthusiastic, and you'd repeat that over and over and over and over until you were enthusiastic. You know, well... I don't know, I'm not just a real enthusiastic person anyway, but by doing that, you become enthusiastic. And, you know, that's 
one way, you know, that we can fight these temptations, these sins, um, is by making ourselves do the opposite. So um, if I have a tendency to be greedy, even though I'm, you know, it may be shallow, but I make myself do something unselfish uh, or make myself uh, be humble, do things out of humility or do an humble act. And by doing that, over and over, we become what we're doing. So if I do unselfish things over and over and over, I'm, in essence, becoming unselfish. I'm not not saying be fake, but you do those things to battle the temptations that you face. Um, So, you know, I can be stubborn, you know, and Stephanie can be stubborn too. And when we have discussions, and I'm sure you guys, married guys, do the same thing, oftentimes, not oftentimes, Sometimes I can make myself just, okay, I'm not going to say anything else. It's just, I'm going to submit and, and, uh, and lose the argument. Okay, well, in doing that, if we find ourselves able to do that over and over, we're, we're going to be less proud, we're going to be less stubborn, we're going to be more submissive. That's an act of submission. Um, but I, I don't know, I think if we practice those things that we want to be, practice those things that are opposite of what we don't want to be, we tend to be more we want to be. And so, I don't know, I just, as Ty was talking and he contacted me last night about um, doing this and, and, and so doing some thinking today and, and as he was talking, I was, I was thinking about how, how do we fight those things is, is by trying to do the opposite. And, you know, the Lord tells us, you know, to walk in love just as Christ also loved you. You know, is that a command to have the emotion of love? No, he, he's, he's saying, you know, Christ gave himself up for us. Those are actions that, that he did. Now, honestly, you know, we know Christ did that because he truly loved us. But we can perform acts of love even though we are not a nurturing emotional being. And so through our actions, we can do these things, even though we're not the nurturing female, uh, and that has those, those things come more naturally. Um, so we, sometimes we have to make ourselves do things, do acts toward one another that, that uh, are more conscious or, uh, I don't want to say forced, but you understand what I'm saying. They're intentional. You know, they're not something that may come natural. But by doing those things, we, in essence, become more that way. If I make myself more humble and submissive, then I will become more humble and submissive and unselfish. But, um, but anyway, so I just was thinking about that and not cleaning anything else up, just adding to, but uh, I think Wade had comment. I'm a nerd, so I don't have a sports illustration. I have a band illustration. Um, but I used to play in jazz bands, and you know, you see those guys up there. If you ever see like solo soloists, you know, it looks like they're just coming up with that stuff on the fly, just naturally. But really, when when you're 
practicing it, you write out the solos. And then you play them over and over again. And then the next song, you write it out. And then the next song, you write it out. And then eventually you get to understand how those things are put together, how the structure of it. And then eventually you can just, you know, come up with stuff on the fly on your own. So it's almost like building that that base layer of, one, you got to get over yourself and do something that you may not find naturally to do, but then you start building the framework of, well, now you, it's easier to overcome that next time, and then the next time you, well, I've done this before, I'm going to do it again, I've done this before, I'm going to do it again, and then it, it just becomes easier and easier and easier, and then it starts to become a habit, and you don't, it doesn't take as much mental effort amount of mental effort and mental uh, uh, speed bumps you have to overcome to do You have it back. We're out of time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Comments. Appreciate everybody's participation. And uh, we are out of time. Brent, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've allowed us to come together, to, uh, to be together as brothers, and we, we thank you for the experiences and the efforts that you've put us through so that we can share this and become stronger Christians and, and, and better brothers to each other. We ask that you uh, bless this endeavor, that we may take the things that we've learned and apply them, set them up to be uh, more successful. Ask that you be with us on our way home, that we all may arrive safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.